Welcome to Herman Singh's Future Compass. Understanding today, preparing for tomorrow. What value do you add? A question that I like to ask in firms of an employee or manager is this. If a customer could enter your offices and view what you did daily, would they be prepared to pay you for the work that you did? This cuts to the core value adding for the customer. A lot of activity in large corporates is largely waste. It's work that was created to keep people busy or justify a manager's empire, paper shuffling in an analog world. Even worse, in many instances, there are jobs that only exist because the systems, competencies, processes, and data in the firm are so inefficient or broken. Inspection, for example, and even management in many instances, is not a value-adding job. If the key resources identified earlier were all operating optimally, then one should manage by exception rather than being overly suffocating with controls. Many jobs exist to fix internal breakage or to stitch together broken systems or processes. I've even seen jobs that existed only because upstream workers were so lacking in capability that one needed to inspect to prevent poor quality reaching the client. As a client, I would not pay for many of the above. I would not pay you for being a job that only existed because of your own efficiency. So one needs to beware of these types of roles as they are not sustainable over the long term. The job will eventually become redundant as the firm improves or the firm will go bust. Neither is a particularly attractive outcome for a sustainable future. How does one enhance the value that one contributes to a business to warrant a higher reward? The value that you add to a business should dictate the salary that you earn. But does this mean that a hospital administrator should earn more than a life-saving surgeon, for example, or that an airline scheduling manager should earn more than a pilot? Where exactly does value lie? Value in roles is often linked to scarcity value, perceptions of management, propensity of clients to pay, and of course, the extent to which this can easily be taught to someone else or codified. It's easy to teach typing at speed, but almost impossible to create a guaranteed great artist or successful entrepreneur. The latter two being a mixture of art and science, while the former is mechanistic and formulaic. Income is higher, the less easy it is to copy the task performed. Anyone could be a short order cook or a checkout cashier, but it's much harder to train an actuarial scientist. That is just a function of a deeper skill set needed and a higher level of cognitive skill. But some tasks need unique physical skills, as in sports persons or surgeons, which are difficult to train, similarly for roles that are not well understood, as in being charismatic or inspirational, or to be a great risk taker and risk manager. There's been an enormous effort today to codify all roles and tasks and make them formulaic. One sees this in music and even movie scripts. And by and large, this has worked well where we're able to extract learning and use this insight to train others. But algorithms don't work everywhere. Writing books that sell well, creating leaders that lead sustainably for long periods, or even writing great poetry, creating great art, or building unicorns are still not perfectly replicable skills. What is truly difficult to replicate, although we are trying to do so with machine learning algorithms, is to codify experience and judgment. Years of performing anti-money laundering or fraud detection trained one to look for patterns that are often created in the unconscious mind of the individual. They may not even know that they have a rule of thumb or heuristic that they use. They just have a hunch. It's only by observing what and how they perform a role that one understands what is happening. They're indeed unconsciously competent. Individuals, on the other hand, who are trained on more standardized tasks are consciously competent. 
They know what they know and they are aware that they're using that knowledge consistently, like a checklist used by airline pilots or plant operators, jobs where there is a standard operating procedure against which they are regularly tested. There are many things that a client or employer will pay you for. It's instructive to understand this as it has a big impact on how you choose to upscale your life. Let's look at each of these. If you pay me for what I do, then that could be a semi-skilled or transactional worker. These shelf packers or bank tellers utilize simple operating procedures that do not rely on judgment much or high levels of cognitive effort. It's easy to train replacements and therefore these tend to be low-paid jobs. Due to the lack of negotiating power in this category of workers, they have compensated through becoming unionized to increase their pricing power. It is rare, for example, to see a union of doctors while nurses and orderlies often are organized. If you pay me for how I do it, then I'm probably a skilled worker and possibly with experience. An artisan, perhaps. It's not an accident that many artisans first had to serve an apprenticeship, where they would learn from the more senior and more experienced individuals. This would allow them to understand the deeper nuances of a job and to practice them in the real world on applications not often encountered or covered in academia. The shortcuts and rules of thumb are often learned here. If you pay me for what I know, then I'm probably some kind of professional with a certificate proving that I have successfully acquired certain defined and well-understood skills, often underwritten by a professional body, perhaps, like an accountant or an auditor. I may not use all of these skills in every instance, but I have them and know them for use in need. If you pay me for what I think, then I am probably a consultant or subject matter expert, an analyst perhaps, or even a creative person. Often it's a sage or a coach, less about content and more about the way that your thought processes are arranged. If you pay me for what I say, how I say it, or how I look, then you are probably an artist or a politician, vocalizing the thoughts and ideas of others, reading rather than originating, perhaps a model. It's about presentation rather than substance or authenticity, style, if you will. If you pay me for who others think I am, then I'm an influencer or even a reality TV star. Poses, perhaps. It's about external perceptions of me, my presence, and how I project. If you pay me for who I really am, then you are hiring a leader based on authenticity. It is the essence of my personality and identity that you seek. The value that I add is my inherent intuition and integrity. The power of my determination or persistence could be the factor. If you pay me for what I create, then I am the alchemist. Ancient alchemists were theoretically able to create gold from more base metals. This meant that they were effectively creating huge value from what was essentially worthless. Startup founders and entrepreneurs are in this group, and I rare breed indeed. Opportunity obsessed and with the ability to manage risk and resourceful to find solutions while resilient enough to address obstacles as they arise. This is a scarce bundle of skills. Guess which sustainably earns the most? The one that is most scarce least well understood, hardest to codify, most difficult to teach, steeped in experience and heuristics, and using scarce physical skills. This explains the vast disparities in incomes between those at the top of an organizational pyramid and those at the bottom. The ability to create something from nothing versus just doing more of the same is a quantum difference in performance, value add, and therefore remuneration. You've been listening to Herman Singh's Future Compass, brought to you by Future Advisory and Solid Gold Podcasts. Professor Singh specializes in digital transformation, disruption, 
and startup acceleration and keeps his finger on the pulse of change so that you can make better decisions.